Millions of citizens join the United States military not just for the pride of our country, but for the love of our country. Many men and women return from war mentally or physically wounded, only to be judged by society. Wishes for Warriors is here to change that stigma. It's time to prove that there is life after war. Wishes for Warriors is a veteran-run volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to returning hope and passion back into the lives of our combat wounded heroes through therapeutic outdoor adventures after experiencing a life-altering injury. It's their mission to show these heroes that whether wounded of body and mind, they are still able to live out their passions, whether it's through the love of hunting, fishing, skydiving, or anything that makes them feel alive again. Please think of giving back to the men and women who have sacrificed everything so that we can celebrate our freedom. If you feel like donating to Wishes for Warriors, please visit wishesforwarriorscorp.org for more information. Well, happy 4th of July, everybody. Uh, this is Doc Hillary, and today we have a very special podcast with two ladies that have really touched my heart and become what I would say really important mentors in helping me to understand the call of the hunt, and especially for females. Um, as you know, I'm not a hunter, um, and uh, I struggled for many years with hunting. And just in this last year, starting Hunt Harvest Health, I've been exposed to some pretty amazing people out there who are each day um, having the conversation with me and opening up the dialogue so that I can understand who they are, and in turn, they can understand who I am, and so it's pretty special. I was fortunate enough to meet Gianna Waller at uh, a dinner one night where we sat together and we ended up talking for the entire dinner and I really had no idea who she was to tell you the truth and I just found our conversation so enlightening so intriguing and I could just see her passion for what she does um, and her love for animals and her love for sacred ways and her love for health and uh, holistic medicine and so I I felt really drawn to her and I wanted to talk with her, especially after that uh, dinner that we had. And then I was fortunate enough to meet Christy a little while later, Christy Titus at the Oregon Train to Hunt. And she, like Jana, is such a, a special person. She is so kind, so loving, so happy. And she really is a wonderful spokesperson for um, opening society's eyes to the fact that women are also part of the cycle of life and that there are women out there who enjoy the outdoors and um, they want you know they want to continue on the traditions of hunting and and uh, the wilderness conservation for many generations to come so I was fortunate enough to get to sit down with both of them um, because they're really two best friends. Uh, uh, their, I think their third bestie is Jules McQueen, and unfortunately she wasn't there for me to interview her as well, but I'm sure in the future it wouldn't be a problem to do that. But um, they just they just sat down and had a really candid conversation about their lives. We talked about a lot of different topics, and uh, one of the resounding uh, subjects that came up, and especially 
when if you listen to the end of this podcast, you'll hear about what these women feel that they have, you know, what they should be most thankful for. And I would have to agree that living in this day and age, when there's still places on the planet where women are considered uh, second class citizens, even lower than that, I feel that our freedom here in the United States is something to be cherished. And it's also something worth fighting for. And it's something worth teaching our daughters and our sons that um, freedom does not come free. And there's people out there in many, many generations who have fought and suffered so that we could be here today. It doesn't mean that our history has been perfect. It doesn't mean that there haven't been people hurt. And, you know, truthfully, history is not a pleasant thing. History teaches us, if we're evolving, that we need to change our ways, that we need to be more open, and we need to be more ethical, and that destroying habitats and destroying civilizations is probably not the best way to go. But history also teaches us that in that, we can find immense, you know, um, solitude in the fact that some of the old ways were really what we're missing in this world today. The wilderness, um, nature, uh, connection with animals, and, and that's including connection with ourselves and just kind of the, that, the self-centered, uh, I think, society that we have today. Um, we can learn a lot from the ways of the past, no matter which culture they're from. So we talk a lot about that in this podcast. So I felt it appropriate to launch this on July 4th. In this podcast, I reference a book that's a big part of Ryan and I's uh, library. And we refer to it quite a bit when we're um, you know, having conversations about especially the topic of hunting. And it's called From Boys to Men of Heart, Hunting as a Rite of Passage. It's by Randall L. Eaton, Ph.D. If you don't own this book, you need to get this book. Um, It's a little harder to get off of Amazon. It's an older book. But this gentleman has has spent his life's work in, in researching animals, studying native cultures, and basically studying how hunting is truthfully one of the most sacred ways to go, especially for men. And he talks a lot about this different situations um, and how hunting has changed the lives of people. And um, he does a lot of reference to native cultures, which which I enjoy because um, you'll hear some in this podcast that I have some history with my stepfather who is native and I I have a great respect for native cultures. And and I've referred to it in other podcasts about a lot of the books that I like to read. But this book is a great book, and I referenced it a little bit in here about a scenario with troubled teens and hunting. And and so what I thought I would do is is really share, um, you know, Randall Eaton, what he's trying to get through in this book. And he talks a lot. This is very, 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 like, thick book, lots of stuff in it. But he has such a distinct way of helping us to understand what hunting is and how it can actually improve our culture and and kind of bring us back to the old ways so that we have a deeper sense of spirituality and a deeper sense of of nature. So I'm going to read an excerpt from that. After I'm done, we're going to go right into this podcast with Jana Waller of Skullbound TV and Christy Titus of Pursue the Wild. 
Hunting is a primary instinct, which means it operates on its own energies, and the rewards and satisfactions of hunting are intrinsic. As a spiritual instinct, with the capacity to link up the lower with the higher and the inner with the outer, hunting expands us and makes us more whole. More than any activity, at least for males, it connects us deeply with nature and animals to which we become irreversibly bonded. The supreme alertness associated with the hunt and our spontaneous identification with the animals we hunt are transcendent. They get us out of ourselves, beyond our ego, and as a consequence, the hunt is fundamentally a religious experience, one that reconnects us to the source. The transcendent nature of the hunt teaches a young man that he is part of something much greater than himself. Hunting teaches the interconnection and interdependence of all life. Like the men of hunting-gathering societies, recreational hunters know from direct experience that interdependence is a fact of life, an ecological and spiritual principle. From awareness of interdependence, humility is born. Hunting reveals the impermanence of life and our own mortality. The taking of an animal's life evokes compassion for human and non-human life. The killing of an animal also teaches us the terrible extent of our power, and it evokes responsibility. Because hunting teaches us that we are, like all life forms, dependent upon the integrity, viability, and the wholeness of natural systems, it inspires us to fiercely protect nature and to be active in environmental conservation. Though the hunt is goal-oriented, it teaches us that all of creation functions by processes and that we are part of the process. It engenders a seventh-generation perspective, making decisions today with future generations in mind. As Athabaskan elder Peter John said in The Sacred Hunt, the animals you take are important to your grandchildren. The hunt teaches cooperation at a social level, as in the hunt itself and with landowners, residents, and occupants, but also with the animals. Hunting teaches us to be observant and patient. It teaches us to emulate nature and to slow down, to be here now in the present moment. The hunt teaches a spirit of gratitude to the animals and for the gifts of nature as well as to life itself and the divine. The hunt promotes authentic self-confidence and self-sufficiency. It teaches us responsibility in the safe and careful use of lethal weapons. Likewise, the taking of an animal's life teaches us that, that there are serious consequences to our choices and actions. The hunt naturally promotes ethics universally associated with hunting. These include ahizma, avoiding unnecessary harm, which means taking only what we need and using what we take as well as minimizing suffering of animals. Putting back encompasses everything from ritually placing a part of the animal into the earth to maintaining, improving, and increasing habitat for wildlife. As such, hunting is the model for environmental conservation. Thinking with the heart means that in the hunt we learn to listen to our deepest feelings and abide by them. We also attend to our intuitions and learn to honor them. In the realm of spiritual development, the hunt submerges us in processes that teach us the subtle realities of life. These include the power of prayer, of envisioning what was what we want tempered by spiritual dimension of ethical choice, the importance of asking for and receiving permission, the ability to receive guidance in the form of dream and vision, the consequences of attitude, intention, and right-mindedness. It teaches us that inner peace and sanity are accessible in an insane world. 
The hunt is an active form of prayer that integrates the three selves or minds, conscious, subconscious, and higher. It is not merely the cerebral gyrations of rational thought, but the integ- but the in- integration of the conscious with the emotional realm of the subconscious. Psychologist Don Bradshaw agrees with the kahunas of Polynesia, whose psycho-spiritual systems predates principles advanced by Freud and Jung by millennia. That is, in the linkage of conscious with subconscious mind that opens the door to higher mind. The hunt unites thought with feeling of the desired outcome which empowers the prayer. Thought by itself carries no energy, but when we hold the feeling of the outcome, then our prayer has power. Hunting teaches us how to pray. There are three discoveries made in hunting that are rarely articulated. That the animal has a spirit, it leaves the body at death. That we transcend the body, meaning we are also spiritual. And that we have the power to take life, and the act of killing itself is no fun. The hunt engages us in skills and activities that are transferable and beneficial to our development, perception, and understanding. These include awareness of our environment and self-awareness, natural history, survival skills, and especially reciprocity and stewardship. Hunting isn't about killing, it's about living. Jana Waller All right, everybody, this is Doc Hillary. I am at, you will obviously hear in the background, <laughs> I am at the Oregon Waterfowl Festival, Northwest Waterfowl Festival. Yeah, it's Oregon. Yeah. Oregon and Waterfowl Elk Festival, Northwest, Northwest Elk Camp. Mm-hmm. Northwest Elk Camp. And obviously, you can probably tell who I'm with. Um, <laughs> Jana's voice is unmistakable. Oh, here we go again. Everybody makes fun of my Wisconsin accent. It's your perfect English. Oh, it's my manly, musky voice. I can't help it. I don't, you know, it's because I talk too much. And it's funny, when we go to expos like this that are loud, like yeah. NWTF with all the turkey calls in here, and I end up try to project my voice over everything, and then it gets raspy, and so then the... Wisconsin accent even becomes more prevalent. <laughs> well, you know, I grew up in Montana, but I have a bit of a, um, I feel like people always say to me, where are you from? Where's your accent from? And I'm like, my accent. <laughs> and I think it's just a kind of that Midwest accent and living um, maybe close to Canada. Like, you do sound I don't Canadian. Know. Yeah. So when we go to Canada you and Canadians start talking to me, I get really bad, right? Oh. Like, stop talking Canadian. You, you're like, oh yeah, okay. Oh, sure you know, we go up there and we go skiing, and yeah, you're gonna take a boat down the river, you know, yeah. and like you just start talking like that. Out like, for oh, a rip, God. huh? Out <laughs> for a rip, eh? Out yeah. for a rip, eh? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I talk. I always say a. Eh, and mm-hmm. he's like, oh my gosh, please stop with the Canadian talking. I can't help it either. But if I go to the South or Canada, I do the same thing. I'm an accent picker upper. And I, I have filmed episodes in Texas where I've humiliated myself, where my family literally is like, what is going on? <laughs> and then I forget how to talk. Like, how do I normally sound? Yeah. I don't really know at this point. <laughs> yeah. But it takes a while to get back to it. And it really I think is. when you spend a lot of time with people, you pick up on their, the way they talk and mannerisms. mannerisms. It's just their mannerisms. Yep. And the South, my you grandparents are Southern. <laughs> yeah, that's what besties do. I can't. <laughs> We can't help it. Sorry, I'll just shut up. I'll be over here in the just corner. Just finish his other sentences. Yeah. It's cool. Well, okay. So I am here with Christy Titus, obviously, and Jana Waller. Um, uh, Christy from Pursue the Wild and Jana from Skullbound TV. 
And for those of you listeners who out, out there who are not hunters and have no idea who these women are, then you're going to have the joy of getting to listen to them today. My guess is that you probably know who they are if you're listening to this, but I am here by myself. No men are here in any, you know, within a hundred yards of us right now. And so we're, it was kind of fun for me to have them in the same place here to talk with them. I first met Jana. It's kind of a funny story because I met her in Missoula at the BHA rendezvous Yep, this year. And we were just walking through the crowd at the at the barbecue or whatever afterwards. And we saw Santino, a friend of ours and, Oh, come over here. We're talking. And so I have not, I've been with Ryan 20 years and I have known nothing about hunting. Okay. Like if you turn on sportsman's channel, you know, I just go in another room. Like I'd go do something. <laughs> I'll read my book or whatever. And I have no idea who most of these people are who are in the industry. So I'm really just coming in as a fresh person. I have no mm-hmm. idea who people are and what their platforms are. And so we went to dinner, and um, Jen and I were the only women, which I'm sure you're used to, right? Yep, 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 a lot. And we just started talking, and then we just sat next to each other. And the next thing we know, it's like we talked through dinner, and then we were talking about all these things. And um, <clears throat> and then by the end, you know, people were coming in. I was like, oh, okay, obviously you guys are in. No, oh, we have a TV show and that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. So we left, and Ryan's like, so you know who that was, right? <laughs> and I, I go, well, yeah, I think so. She said she has a TV show. And he's like, that's like one of the most famous hunting women oh. probably on the planet. <laughs> Literally. You just spent the oh, whole night talking far. with. And I was like, wow, really? Oh, and I said, well, sweet. she definitely has a love for hunting. Because mm-hmm. we talked about that quite a bit. And um, and he was like, oh, you're just so like naive. I can't even believe this. And I said, well... That's I don't know naive. who these people are. He didn't mean it like that. He's just like, this is just crazy. You just sat there with Jana Waller and talked with her for three well, hours. We, I remember that conversation, and it was such an awesome conversation because we both brought such different perspectives to hunting and health. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know that my minor in college was health, and I'm really into uh, – you know, just learning now in my older years of holistic medicine and, you know, stuff that's good for our bodies versus toxic. And we talked about that, which is mm-hmm. obviously what you're totally into. And, you know, we, I always preach that we, we eat what we hunt and our freezer right now has all these different foods in it. And then you and I started talking about, too, of the traditions of hunting, like mm-hmm. mounting your animals. And we started talking about my skull business and just really from a unique perspective that you came from of not growing up in a hunting family. And then uh, I just think we have a lot of really, believe it or not, so many mutual things in common. Mm-hmm. And I really want to learn more about your, I don't know one thing about gardening. I know. That's what I was saying. Oh, I want to go that. to their house Me and too. learn because I've been trained to garden. But I don't want to go for a week. I want to go all summer long. <laughs> well, it takes all summer to right. grow a garden. I want to learn all we those things that internship. you know about. And I, wa- I want to know your perspective on health. And, yeah. and so I think this was a, a friendship, uh, you know, that was meant to be. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's so crazy how that turned out. And, and then when I met you and then... Just a month ago or so, we went yeah, to like train to weeks hunt, ago. and Christy was at train to hunt. And I remember you telling me at that dinner that some of your best friends were in the hunting business, and uh, and and that you had always had a hard time having girlfriends, and that none of your other girlfriends hunted. And then you had met these women, and they were your really close friends. And so when I met Christy, 
She's like, oh, yeah, I know Gianna. She's like my bestie. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you must be in that circle of girlfriends because, again, another woman who's so passionate about the outdoors and, you know, both of you having a female platform in a predominantly male um, market mm-hmm. is is really uh, says a lot about your passion for what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what, you know, like Jana and I grew up like literally – I always make the joke. I'm half what? dude. Oh yeah, we do it. <laughs> the half dude. Totally. But not just my man hands. But I no. didn't have I girlfriends and I and in the industry I didn't have a lot of girlfriends until Jana and Julie were first really the first ladies to really like make me feel welcome. And what what I have tried to do by all these events I go to is I want to create and foster a community of support. Yep. And so I want to go out and do the train to hunt events. Like here we did the hammer and chisel workout. Um, I, I want women that have kids that have health problems that are maybe aren't athletes, maybe aren't involved in hunting. I want to make them feel welcome in our community because there was a long time for me where I didn't feel very welcome by a lot of ladies. And that's not the type of yeah. Um, relationships I want to foster. So I, I really think it's important to create a family and, and, you know, I live in a small town. I don't have any really friends in my town. I see you guys, uh, on the road traveling to these events more than I do people in my own, in my own community. And I think that's really great, but we need to grow on that. And that's, I'm so proud of you for like stepping up and joining like train to hunt and getting involved with your family and what you're doing is really I'm speaking to Hillary here, is opening up the doors to our community to women that might be closed off or intimidated. And I, you know, I, I want to help that. I want to help make that a bigger, this is a, an incredibly special way of life. And it, yep. it surrounds ourselves with number one, spirituality, our family, and then being healthy. And hunters in a lot of places are known as being overweight and bubba's and beer drinkers. Mm-hmm. None of us are like that. Um, we're all extremely healthy and health conscious and, you know, give a lot of reverence and appreciation to the animals that we hunt. And I mean, I cry when I shoot something most oh, yeah. of the time. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> so I, I just think it's important that, you know, we have people like you that are out here inviting the world to understand our culture. And that there isn't the competition. Like no. sometimes you often see with the guys and, you know, whether it's a guy thing or a testosterone thing or whatever, you see these guys, you know, feeling um, competitive with one another and I don't want to create that at all Mm-mm. with women, especially when I say in the industry, I just mean people who are passionate. I mean, about hunting, fishing, in trapping, the, outdoor the outdoors, world. right. I really think that, that the competition attitude is, is uh, very dangerous for our industry. The people who, you know, uh, maybe act like, like maybe bow hunting is better than rifle hunting or, uh, you know, trophy hunting and all, you know, the competition we need to be, really be there for each other. I think a lot of people don't understand the forces that be that tr- are trying to take away our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And in working with groups like Christy works with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation very deeply. I work with Sportsman's Alliance, NWTF. We both work with Mule Deer, all these conservation groups. And then you get to really kind of see what's going on behind closed doors of the anti-hunting groups that are, they're powerful. They have multi-millions of dollars. They're They're constantly inciting court cases to take away our rights and chip away at them little by little. And, you know, we always hear about the NRA and the ILA, but a lot of these conservation groups are also stepping up. And if you know that there are forces uh, at work trying to take away our passion, 
you you need to know that and you need to then come together with everybody mm-hmm. and create a unified front, not this divisiveness that I do actually see a lot in the industry. Not just I'm ta- not talking men or women. I'm as a whole, there's a lot of divisiveness and it needs to stop. We need to support one another. If it's legal and ethical, hey, if you're not into it, great. There's certain things, types of hunting I'm not into, but I support it if it's legal and ethical. And we need to stop bashing one another, and we need to come together as a unifying front, both as women, but also men and women as a whole in the hunting industry. Well, you know, I have an interesting backstory because obviously I've lived with a hunter for a long time, but I would say that I, I was... I. I grew up and I was surrounded more in the anti-hunting world. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned through this whole process, what I've learned through this whole process is that most people just really don't know. They're, they're living, they're, they're seeing a stereotype. And unfortunately it's not for everybody. Like there, I think that there's this consciousness that we're all supposed to feel the same way in the world. Like we're all supposed to think the same and be the same. And I, and then at the same time, it's like at the same time, people are trying to find their individualities. And I think we're seeing that right now, like in race relations and sex relations and religion, and there's always going to be separatism. But what I've come in and I've learned is, is that what would be really cool is if people that didn't understand it had access to people who really lived it. Mm -hmm. And they, just like you guys want to come learn how to grow a garden, like people that may have their judgments based on nothing but pure stereotyping and um, the media or whatever is to come in and to, to live with somebody, to go on an experience with you guys. And, you know, maybe they don't have it within them to take an animal, mm-hmm. but they would, uh, they could see that it's not what they thought it was. And in that, that brings, that can bring both sides together where there, there can be that common ground where we say we are different. We can accept that. And that instead of this, this fighting that creates within the industry and then also outside of the industry that separates us as some kind of like separates this group as like people that are so different and we got to get rid of that that way of life and for me i i think that there's so many people who just don't understand it no no. and if they had access to it they might now and that's from that's not an overnight thing for me that didn't happen overnight that happened because of trained to hunt and i came in and i was like whoa these are really healthy people um really nice loving, emotional people, which I always had this thing, like, if you kill animals, you just don't have any emotions. Like, you, how could you emotionally care about something? And now I'm like, well, these are all, like, emotional. I mean, at that thing we had the last night, yeah. and I've, we've talked about it in a few other podcasts, but, I mean, people, grown men were crying. Women were crying. Children were crying. Like, that is not something you see even in the other world where people are so emotional and they care so much. Um, and what I love to see is there's no anger there. Mm-mm. There's no resentment there. A- anybody could get up and say, like, I got up and said, listen, a year ago, I thought you guys were all barbarians. Uh-huh. Yep. And now here I am, like, <laughs> shooting a bow and arrow. So there's so many people out there that maybe you live with, that you love. They don't understand it. So you've got to get them to something like this because they... They go, oh, these people are actually like really me. nice. Exactly. exactly. They're like me. And, and then maybe in that, 
I can talk with them and they can see my side and then I can see their side and oh maybe yeah I'll compete in a train to hunt like something I never would have thought of and I think that that and that's I guess my utopian sense of the world Ryan's always like oh you know you I have this thing that everybody could be included and obviously everybody can't but that's really my mission with coming in with this project is is that I can I've always been my mom always says you are like you're like the person in the middle who always is trying to find a solution. Mm-hmm. So I will never be on one side or the other. I'm always the person that will be like, well, come in here and let's see. Let's try this. Let's, let's maybe, maybe your mind will be opened, mm-hmm. right? I think that's and a beautiful perspective to have. So I'm always, that, that, and it's a detriment to me sometimes because Ryan has also said, you need to get an opinion and you need to stand for it. Right? Like, you guys have an obvious opinion about things, and you stand for it. Ryan's the same way. Like, there are certain things, like, he would never. And I could say that about some things, but I'm much more like, okay, let's sit down and talk about it. Like, try to explain your side to me without anger and finger pointing. Let's have a conversation. Maybe. Hmm. You know? But I also feel now really drawn to help this community Mm -hmm. because... Just what we've seen from our feedback, from our podcast, from talking to women like you, from meeting <clears throat> families, this this community needs a lot of support. I get emails from guys that are like, I'm a hunter and a fisherman. I want to be supported like that in my life by my wife, by my doctor. I don't want them to look down on me and people to judge me. And I just like to take care of my health. Without, and I never even thought about that before. Like people are thinking they're getting judged when they go to the doctor because they hunt. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Right. I guess so. Yeah. When do. there's a questionnaire on HIPAA forms now or whatever form they are, they ask if you have firearms in your home. Right. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's not a good thing. That's a bad, you know, bad place to be in our country for a lot of reasons. But uh, yeah, you're totally judged. But, you know, my reaction to that is, um, you know, we're part of the circle of life. And unless you're a complete vegetarian and you don't own anything that has any port of leather or whatever, then you're just a giant hypocrite. And I have no problem pointing fingers with that. Like, hey, that works for you to go to the store and buy something that's in a plastic cellophane package that has this nice little like diaper in the bottom that absorbs all blood or trace of living existence. Because most kids don't even know bacon comes from a pig. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they have no concept of that, which I think... Rural connections, you know, there's this huge local war movement in communities where they're wanting to garden and they want natural food. And um, kids really need to reconnect with the earth. Yep. And that includes livestock. So FFA, you know, my nephew and my niece raise pigs. And being connected with the process that goes into creation of life and sustainability sustaining life is really important and um man i'd much rather shoot a deer when it's nibbling on a piece of grass it's lived a great life it's out in the in the elements living a beautiful existence i appreciate its loss i know where it's where it's been what it's eaten versus something that's raised in a slaughterhouse and has no life and stands in its own filth i mean there's a lot of perspectives you can look at on how livestock is raised that you know i'm not saying it's inhumane i don't want to say that but I just prefer to harvest my own food. You know, well, I and see it. There's a there's a movement within urban urbanites and city absolutely. slickers that are like, this is not natural. Mm-mm. Like what we're living in, and so if they do live in the city, they're growing their food. Some you of them are going gardens. out and they are 
buying little pieces of land, and they are slaughtering their own animals. Mm -hmm. But there is a movement of young people, young Mm -hmm. people living in the cities who are like, this is not good. I don't want my children to live like this. Or even if they can't move out of the city, they're going out. They know where their meat comes from. They're learning to hunt. And that is one of, when I first started this, I was telling Ryan, okay, I'm going to be so unaccepted by everybody I know. (laughs) People are so like, you know, if I could learn to do that, like, Well, schools are doing little garden groups Mm -hmm. and it's great. You see like little kindergartners that are learning how to sow seeds and how to sprout them and then plant them and they're growing little mini gardens in schools. And I think that is so healthy for kids because it teaches them so much responsibility to and delayed gratification. You sow this seed now, you're not going to reap the benefit of it for months. And on the flip side of that, there's the whole archery in the schools program now too. And even though they're not teaching specifically hunting, they're teaching archery, it's going to lead lead kids down that road, hopefully, into, you know, getting into a lifestyle of hunting, fishing, living off the land kind of thing. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, Matthews has been really instrumental in in the archery in the schools programs. And I think it goes hand in hand with that. You know, and then there's, you know, what another friend of mine calls global Hollywood. So much comes out of global Hollywood of what is cool and trendy. And, you know, whether it's from movies or TV shows or music or, or anything like that, global Hollywood in the past two decades, two, three decades has been toxic to our lifestyle. You know, showing, take the movie Wolverine, for example, showing the hunters in the beginning, they're beer guzzling, shooting from the pickup, spitting tobacco out the window kind of thing, right? Mm. But then you come along and you have something like the Hunger Games where here's Katniss and she's incredible and, you know. Trying to survive. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not necessarily, and she's, they hunted on the show and believe it or not, I've heard from a lot of different companies that that movie alone has sparked such huge interest in archery and it made it cool and at least it's a little gateway into uh, what we do, you know, what our lifestyle and it, I totally agree with what Hillary had to say as far as seeing, needing help, needing to bridge that gap between the 80% that they're not anti. So so in the most recent polls that I've looked at, you kind of can take the U.S. as a one lump sum and 10% of us are hardcore hunters, 10% of us are vehemently anti-hunting, and then there's the 80 percenters. Those are the ones that I think will do so much benefit in learning from someone who doesn't come from a hunting perspective or learning that it's not about killing. It's about living. Mm -hmm. That's our motto at Skullbound. And I... I, Bless you. Sorry. (laughs) And I really believe that it's those 80 percenters that we need to... um, Educate's not even the word I want. It sounds too harsh. That I want to at least have them have some type of opportunity to hear uh, really what it's about. And I think that's why, you know, women are the number one rising demographic in the world of hunting. We're purchasing more and more hunting licenses every year uh, versus dropping off of a lot of our... There's 3.35 million female hunters right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're losing a lot of our old grandpas, you know, uh, when back in the day, all of our grandpas hunted, right? And we're losing that demographic, but at least women are coming up and replacing those numbers. And uh, it's a beautiful time to be a woman. And I would say in the last five years, I've really noticed a push to get brand new women, young and old, into hunting and and to see what it's all about. Which is great because like our workout... Saturday morning, and then also at Train to Hunt, you see women joining. 
and you see kids. I mean, we did our full workout with a herd of kids. It was amazing. Now, they couldn't shoot the course the same distance as us, but they had their bows. They were shooting 10 or 15 yards. They feel like they're part of something. Mm-hmm. And the the biggest thing for me is we see this dissolution of the family unit. And, you know, my parents have been married over 40 years. My dad let me be a boy, if you will, and do what I wanted to do in the outdoors. That was great. But my mom, she wasn't into hunting. She cooked. She she supported us in her way. She didn't want to go. She didn't want to go hunting. Yeah, yep. but she was always there for us. Always supported us. But to see families like at night now, I'm failure to launch. So please apologize. I'm still dependent on my parents at almost forty. But <laughs> I go shoot my bow at my mom and dad's in the summer every night, pretty much. And my mom comes. She doesn't shoot a bow, but she comes in the backyard and she hangs out with me. You take bows and archery or the outdoors, and it gives you a time to create. A connection with your family and it's so intimate and it is so powerful and people don't understand I mean you learn to love people in a way that you didn't even know were possible they're strangers and you learn to love them in a way that is very profound and I don't think you necessarily have that type of experience in everyday life that comes from the outdoors. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is an incredible, uh, and Connection. there's so many people that, you know, Hillary and I have come in contact with that have, you know, grown men, like she's saying that will come to tears that archery saved their marriage or being in the outdoors saved their marriage because it gave their family an opportunity to have an intimate connection. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I mean, that alone is worth, you don't have to go hunting. Shoot a bow, go camping, go fishing, go do something that allows you to disconnect and reconnect with people that matter. And um, that's, an, I mean, to me, I get super emotional about that because, the, you know, it, that's, that's my life. You know, that's, that's how I was raised. And my dad and my mom are like the most important people to me in the world. But you see these families and the kids are diehard and it's incredible. It's really, it goes to show you what really matters in life. So my question, I guess, around, we get so much stuff about, everyone wants to talk about hormones. Everyone wants to talk about their hormones. Like, oh. it's crazy. And there's so much going on in Are your we going to talk about hormones, hormones right I don't now? know. I don't have a whole lot to contribute in <laughs> no, that one. But I, I have this question because um, I, I think I see it and I kind of feel it within the community is, is that typically, even if the woman hunts before she has children, it pretty much stops or can be really decreased once she has children. And I'm, I'm always curious as, um, and obviously neither of you have children, so you might not be able to answer this, but the change that happens when you have children and then you kind of, your focus is really changed. And for both parents to go out into the woods and there you're now you're thinking about your baby and there's a lot of, so, so I've heard a lot of women say, yeah, I used to hunt, but I don't anymore. Well, and look at Krista Magnuson that I trained to hunt with. She had a baby in six days postpartum. She had her baby in a little, I don't even know what you call it, a little kangaroo pouch, marsupial, (laughs) and she's fishing. You know, she's like, man, I I just, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to stop living. And I don't think because you have a, a baby, you have to stop living. I think you have to readdress your priorities. I think it becomes harder to do things, you know, because the baby's going to cry and they have needs and their little skin in the sun and, 
you know, it, I, I would be empathetic to a woman trying to maintain and do everything because we are so torn and you're tired. I don't know. I've never had kids. I'm assuming. I um, I had a stepson that I, I raised, so I claim him, Brennan, as my own. But I, I got him when he was four and a half, so I didn't go through that really tough baby stage with him. But I can tell you that um, even if women have to sort of put their own needs of hunting and fishing and getting outside those first few years, when they do get old enough to walk and sit quietly, I started taking Brennan hunting. And it, it is really hunting and fishing is probably the thing that still bonds us. You know, he's 24 now and just moved to Boston, has a career, doing awesome. But he still comes to Montana and hunts with me, and I see him in Wisconsin, and he's going fishing with my dad next week up in Canada. And it really, truly is something that has continued to bond us through yeah. our adult life. It is the thing that bonds my father and I. Mm-hmm. My dad's one of my best friends. And I can truly say it's because of hunting and fishing is what we talk. And my skull business. He's an artist, too. And so we have a lot of fun going back and forth with that. But it is really the thing that's bonded us um, to where I don't know a lot of women in their mid-40s who consider their dads one of their best friends. Mm -hmm. And I I really do. And it's because of hunting. Hmm. Which is a cool connection to have with your family, I Mm -hmm. think, you know. Mm -hmm. I I did an interview the other day. My grandfather was raised in Hell's Canyon, which is the deepest canyon in North America. Yeah. And they were born in the 30s, and they survived the Great Depression in the canyon. And so I went and did some on-camera interviews with them on... I mean, to me, this is daunting, because there's nothing in Hell's Canyon. <laughs> like, nothing. I, I've been there. I agree. <laughs> and But, the you know, one of the things they were saying is that the river bottom was a great place to survive the depression because it was so low in elevation and they could have a garden and they could hunt and there was fish in the river. So they had fish, they had a beautiful garden and it was a great place for their family just to cocoon and survive. And I mean, think about how many of us could really do that. No, Hillary and Ryan could totally survive. I could not. My garden right now is a epic failure. I can grow onions. I've discovered <laughs> Um, I'm really trying. Well, at least you can flavor your meat. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. with the onion flavor. Yeah. It's well, more I'm trying. It's more than me. I'm trying. But, I mean, think about the connections that these, you know, as a kid growing up where um, your survival depends on your family. And it, it connects you in a different way. And I, I think that is so cool about what is, ha- there's a huge change happening in the country and in hunting and it's not a sport. This is really a lifestyle um, that's driven by faith, family, friends, and health. And it's it's something that our country needs, I think, in order to protect itself from inevitable destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> not to be like doom and gloom, but um, I think mm-hmm. it's really important that we, you know, hunters are the first crusaders in conservation. And we really need to take care and concern of the earth and we give back more than any other group. Well, and you certainly wouldn't know that. I mean, as well as almost every topic watching mainstream media now and where, where do, where does the majority of our country get their news is mainstream media. And I'm really like podcasts have become such a new thing in the last few years. And thank God for that because people are getting education and other perspectives outside like I will not even watch mainstream media anymore it's sad to say I get my news or information news daily news from Twitter and I tend to follow the people that are kind of along the same lines as I that aren't going to slant the news but back to my point is that if you 
if you didn't know anything about our lifestyle or hunting and all you knew was what you learned from mainstream we're me- horrible people. media or global or global Hollywood, yeah, then we're all killers. And like I said before, it's about living. And uh, your podcast shows just that from from your beautiful perspective of not growing up in a hunting family, almost an anti-hunting family. And I think that you're doing a service that I don't even know if you understand how how much well, treated it is. I, I come from a little bit of a different background, though, too, because I, I have a my, – my stepfather is Native American. Um, my parents, they're not married anymore, but he – was a very strong influence in my life. And so I spent a great deal of my teenage years, which are kind of influential years where you're like pissed off at the world. And, you know, and I went <laughs> oh, through a divorce sure. with my parents and it was not um, peachy keen. It was stressful, a lot of money issues. And so we, we lived very poorly. I mean, I lived in a house with no running water for a year. I lived in, you know, uh, in Billings. We, we tanked water up because they had no water up and we lived in and we, we had to take two minute showers and, that was kind of normal for me. I wa- I literally walked two miles to the bus stop down a rim rock. I mean, in the snow, whatever. Because yeah, yeah. my parents worked, my mom worked, and my stepdad worked. But we did. Do, we were out in nature quite a bit. And my stepdad had land out on the reservation, Crow Reservation. And so I've been exposed. I was kind of exposed to a whole other lifestyle about nature. And, like, my stepdad did hunt until I was a certain age. And then he just quit. And gave up his weapons and everything and said he he just had enough. You know, he'd killed enough animals and that was it. And um, But we continued to kind of be in that thing. And I think that there is definitely a romanticism about that style of life. And <clears throat> even though, let's say, perhaps we weren't out there, you know, hunting, but we were out there on the reservation. And it's a live-off-the-land type of lifestyle. And I would not, I think Native peoples, like, their resilience is what they've been through, you know, it's really emotional for me to talk about. Um, but at the same time, you know, they've got to find their way in this culture and in this world. And so I was going into as a spoiled little white girl going into this culture and just seeing the exposure and then just having such a, a an education in how they lived. And, and actually it was a very utopian society, not utopian, um, egalitarian so women and men were pretty much equal Mm -hmm. and they had very important roles within the society and if women didn't hunt they were even if they weren't killing the animal they were dealing with everything else they were skinny the hard work they were Mm -hmm. women were doing all the hard work right um and so i i i kind of grew up with this education about that and i feel really now being looking back on that i feel really thankful that i had that experience because Mm -hmm. When I think of, like, how I would like to go back to, I, I don't think, like, oh, I want to be a pioneer. Like, that is a hard way of life. Oh, yeah. I don't think, oh, I want to go back and be a Native American and live off the land. Like, that is a hard life. We have life so easy Good. Now. Oh, right. So easy. I always think I just that. drive down to Fred Meyer and buy my daughter a pair of shoes if she needs it. Yeah. And, like, you know, fortunately, I have the luxury to do that. Yeah. Most of the world still lives like, you know, off the land. And, but I also now have this profound respect for the health that that brought people. And I, I read a number of books, Native American books, old ones, you know, and I've referred to some of them on the podcast, you know, people need to go back and read when these people, how they lived and how they ate and how they moved and spirituality, like what they thought of the animals and 
And there was no, like, to me, from what I've read, there was none of this, like, I'm better than an animal, I kill it, I don't have respect for it. It was like, this is part of life. You know, they talked about the bear or as their brother. Mm -hmm. But they had to live. They had to eat. Um, They had the buffalo. Like, they wouldn't survive without the buffalo, you know. And we realized they almost didn't survive without the buffalo once they were taken away from that. And so I think that these lineages and this genetics and these... We all have these people in us now. As Americans, none of us are like one race. Right. Like we have so many different genes in us. And I, and in that, people were healthy. There was no disease. No. There was Native Americans, like mental disease in Native Americans was unheard of until... Alcohol. Until alcohol and sugar. Until, you know, uh, until they were taken away from what they knew. And so we see so much mental disease now. In all cultures, like the mental disease is crazy. And so what I refer as, go back to simple. If you're native, if you're Viking, if you're Celtic, if you're African, like how did you live back when your genetics were like that? Probably a lot like this. And we're not that far from that. And so if you're going so far away from health, you need to think back to how was it? What was the simple way of life? You know, you, you harvested, you grew your food, but it was a hard way of life. And that's why a lot of people get scared of it. I got to grow my own food. I got to kill my own animals. I mean, that's so much work, but in the end it's, I see it as a way to health, mm-hmm. mental health, like the mental disease. And Ryan, we have this great book. If you haven't read it, it's called, um, oh, uh, it's written by Randall, some guy it's, it's about, it's about initiation of boys into manhood through hunting. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Let me know the name of it. I'm putting Randall something. Randall Eaton. Eaton. PhD from boys to men. Uh, I think it's from from the heart of boys to men or something like that. It's a great book, and we have it. And he talks about taking convicts out who have killed people, people that have had violent past, anger, and they've done horrible things in their life. And there's a group where they took these boys out, like teenagers, um, and juvies and stuff. Took them hunting. And put them out in the wilderness for, like, days mm-hmm. and just made them out, stay mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. And they had to fend for themselves. They had to watch the animals. They had to. And it transformed their lives. It transformed their emotional state. It transformed, like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? I have. How have I been living? I have seen exactly that in a different way um, when I've been really fortunate enough to take out a bunch of different amputees whose lives have all of, this, all of a sudden taken such dramatic dramatic change from losing I've taken three double amputees so imagine losing both your legs and and to I mean the first year is is so much rehabilitation and learning to live your life again but the I don't think most of us understand the mental battle they go through in losing their freedom on their legs what they what they think is their their manlyhood or their livelihood or and I've taken three double amputees, one triple amputee, elk hunting. And elk hunting is hard. We yep. all know that we're all, you know, we, we uh, know that it's never an easy hunt. And to watch them, I've always just said Mother Nature is so healing on so many levels that sure. I don't even think we understand sometimes. Um, healing physically and mentally and spiritually that watching them get, at, we've all, all four of them that have been on have been successful hunts. And watching them sort of transform during the week and seeing that they can do it. Um, probably the most amazing one of all was 
watching Bo Richenbeck, who's a above-the-knee double amputee Navy SEAL, only one of two, and watching him, his prosthetics didn't work. He ended up just uh, putting on these base plates on the bottom of his stumps and climbing the Montana mountains, literally the mountains, for seven days until he got his bull and wrapped his hands around his horns. And I still, four years later, can't even tell the story without tearing up. And watching that man was amazing for Jim and I personally. And, and, and Changed uh, your life. It changed my life. It makes me understand how precious our freedoms are, what these men and women go through overseas, um, what it's like to uh, be able to give that back to these guys and watch them reconnect to who they are through hunting or fishing. I took a guy out, Mike Krampitz, awesome dude. We took him bow fishing in Kentucky a couple years ago. Mike had been homebound for years. He just didn't, dealing with severe post-traumatic stress, not wanting to leave his house, and even a simple trip on the water, four days of bow fishing, changed his life. Mother Nature is so, so healing. And, you know, I work with a little different group than Jana, but really similar where we take in-hospital treatment, active duty, military personnel out. Some have visible injuries, some have invisible. A lot of it's just reconnecting with people. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that I've discovered is disability is as much a mindset as it is a physical limitation. For sure. And once you get out of your own head and you allow yourself the opportunity to rediscover life and how much there is to be lived. That's where we heal. I mean, on a small scale, I just had my knee reconstructed this year and I was bedridden literally the entire month of March. And it was really hard for me. Eight days after surgery, my mom, I I had my mother drive me because I couldn't drive. I was on crutches. I had my mom drive me to physical therapy and I, or not physical therapy, to a a trainer. I found a trainer that would train me and and I was learning how to exercise from my back. So I always tell people like, I mean, this is, this is a temporary thing for me. Like I'm on my feet now. I'm doing well, but you'd be surprised what you can do. Even though people tell you, oh, you can't do that. You can't go to the gym. You can't go on a hunt. You can't go do this. Well, you know, my doctors told me like this, this, this bear season, you can't hike a mountain right now with your surgeries too new. You can't go bear hunting. Well, yeah, I can. I'm just going to go sit a, a bait barrel and bow hunt bears over bay. I mean, there's things that we can do. We, we just have to allow ourselves the opportunity to rediscover what we can do despite whatever's going on physically. Cause we're all battling something physically, emotionally, personally, we all have our demon. Um, and everybody's got that, that stays with them to some point it's on their shoulder. Um, I've definitely it got just mine. could even be as simple as like that negative voice in your yeah. head or a physical discipline. I exactly. Think, I think we all, you're right. We and all the do mountain have helps like us to really get out of our head and get out there and discover that there are, there's so much we can do. Adapt, improvise, overcome is a statement that the Marines use. And that can be used in anything in life. You know, something goes wrong with your career, you know, obviously go to faith first, but learning how to adapt your life to be successful, learning how to improvise, learning how, well, okay, I might not be able to do this the way I did it before, but how do I overcome this and become a better person or get out of this? And that's, I mean, that's a, that's tough. And a lot of it literally is in our own head. 
our head is what stops us. If you, whether you say you can or can't, you're right. If I go into a situation and say, oh, I can't do that. Well, instantly I've just, I can't do it because I just told myself I can't do it. And I'm not even going to try. We have to go into life with this can do attitude. Well, lately I've, I've asked like guests, oh, so, you know, what's your number one health tip that you would give for people that are struggling or whatever? And honestly, like almost everybody answers kind of what you just answered. Positive mental attitude. Your mental state. And we can't always be in this happy mental state. You know, if you're dealing with PTSD and hallucinations and think, I mean, there's some heavy stuff out there people deal with and you need help. You, you definitely need help. But if you can't even get past that, how are you going to meal prep and how are you going to go exercise every day? And how are you going to climb that mountain? Like you have to find your purpose first. Like I always tell people like, what's your purpose? That's, you know, when I see a patient, they have all these long lists of things they want to do. And I'm like, okay, but what is your real purpose here? Where are we going? What do you want to get to? Like mm-hmm. where, you the know, and, and then they're like, mm-hmm. well, I want to lose weight. I want to get healthier. And I'm like, that's not really answering the question. No. Of course, everybody wants to lose weight. Everybody wants to be perfect. That's not going to happen. What's your actual purpose here? And it always comes down to, I want a happier relationship with myself. I want a happier relationship with my spouse. I want to be healthy so my children can see me as somebody who is strong and has the ability to do that. So it all comes down to a mental choice. And that is what I think separates us from the animals, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we have that cerebral cortex that tells us ethics, morals. Should I do this? Should I not do this? And then this is where we get screwed up in life when we make bad decisions that we know weren't right. Or we had to do things that are just traumatic to us that mm-hmm. we would not do in, an, in a normal situation. We right. wouldn't kill somebody. We wouldn't do this. You know, right. we wouldn't make these decisions. So we guilt rid ourselves and that's where, you know, so these choices are all intertwined. But, um, yeah, the mental state is so empowering. So I have a few questions because I know we got to get going. Christy has to talk today. Well, soon. Jana's on in oh, half Jana's an hour. On. Okay. So oh, she, that's that's right. why I was watching Jana the clock. And Christy. Okay. So my first one is because you guys are ladies and this is a predominantly currently men's sport with women becoming the largest demographic. What would be something if you were talking to a young girl or even a young woman like in her 20s or someone who has a husband who's like, you need to go hunting with me? You know, what, what would advice would you have for somebody who's new, who's not quite sure what to expect? Or I, I get that question a lot. I'm sure you do too, Chrissy. We both get it a lot. And my recommendation, uh, whether it's the woman asked, how do I get into it? Or the guy, how do I get my daughter, my wife, my girlfriend into hunting I always say, let them shadow you. Don't throw a weapon in their hand. They don't have to go to the gun range right away. They don't have to pick up a bow. Let them shadow you because it's not about pulling the trigger. It's everything up to that. If you're lucky enough to notch a tag, that's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and then the real work begins. But let them shadow you and see what you see. Watching nature come to life around you when you're camouflaged. You know, let them watch the, you know, be cold in the morning and let the sun hit their face and warm their body and what a wonderful feeling that is. Let them just experience what you're experiencing um, as your shadow by your side, whether it's one year, two year, five, whatever, how long, until they're comfortable enough to say, hey, you know, can we go to the range today? Or, hey, I was thinking of, you know, joining Hunter Safety this month. Or, you know, I just think let them shadow you. Take them into your environment that you want them to be in. 
It sounds simple, but it's so true. Well, like, because I asked the question, well, they ever gone with you? Well, no, they're not at that level. Well, invite them. They're never going to get to the level unless you invite them. And you've got, and guys have to be willing to give up time as well. A lot of men love that time for themselves, which I understand. I completely understand that. Um, You know, I, I, unfortunately I am divorced and my ex did not hunt. I taught him how to hunt and, and I get where it was almost a little hard for me to give up my, um, you know, self time in the woods. And, you know, I get that perspective. I really do. But like Christy was saying and you earlier, it can be something that's going to not only bond your bond your family together and make it stronger and more unified and you're going to be able to relate to each other better, but it can also bond you and your kids beyond belief. And I know that because I'm in that right now. Yeah. You know, I... Uh... I was lucky as a little kid. I had a dad that, well, number one, I'm really hard-headed. And so I'm like, "Mm, I'm doing that. And when I would get exhausted with my own efforts, then I would be like, Dad, I submit. Will you help me? Um, I I think a lot of it is just if a woman has an interest, let her make some mistakes. When I started elk calling, I was in my 20s. And um, I dated a guy, which we're still buddies, whatever, it's cool. But when I first started, um, he wouldn't let me call in the woods. I mean, I'd practice at home and I was practicing so hard and he wouldn't let me because I wasn't as good as him. Mm-hmm. And um, I wouldn't do it right, quote unquote, you know. And we broke up and I went out. My dad killed a spike bull and I went out the next day by myself and I called in my first branch bull by myself and it was it literally changed my life and I'm like this guy held me down and made me feel like I wasn't good enough to blow my dang elk call (laughs) in the mountains right like this is stupid so what if you don't sound great do it do it trust me I don't sound great and I've called in bulls (laughs) yeah well that's not even the point the point is is unless you're out there and you're doing it you're never going to learn so there's all these great camps right now for women, uh, l- helping them learn how to, how to do it. My YouTube channel, I just started Pursue the Wild. It's my YouTube channel. I'm trying to teach people how to do things that they normally wouldn't try on their own. They're intimidated or maybe they're with somebody or maybe they don't have a significant other or a father. They can, you know, doing it and learning and making those mistakes is how you become better. Mm-hmm. We don't become experts by not trying. Um, when I first started wanting to hunt alone, um, I always followed my dad. I mean, your head's down and you're not paying attention. And so what I started to do is I would walk in front of my dad and I would lead the way. And then when, if I wasn't sure where to go, I had my dad there to kind of guide me and help me and tell me, we're doing a picture, uh, <laughs> tell me like where, okay, yeah, you're, you're kind of right, but you need to go a little left or a little right or whatever and help me orient. So that built my confidence. So then when I started hunting alone, it was a little thing like I'd take a certain radius around the truck and go by myself. And then that radius grew and grew. But I think the biggest thing for women is finding someone who will support you to make your mistakes because nobody's perfect. And now I'm, you know, I went from 
being with a man who was like, oh, you're not good enough to call an elk to now I'm like got world champion titles and I'm teaching seminars here. And when I started doing seminars, I couldn't get a guy to one of my seminars and now I'm full of guys, you yeah. know? And so there was a huge switch over there. And I, and I think a lot of women are just, well, I'm not as good as him. I'm not as good as her. If you, if you're never going to improve unless you try and you're going to make mistakes along the way. And that's part of this beautiful journey of, of growing in self-exploration and, um, finding a, a relationship, whether it be with your father or a friend or, um, a mentor that's going to help you allow you to make mistakes, learn how to run the yeah, GPS. Yesterday, my- the girl, you know, um, the guy we were shooting with didn't know how to use her GPS. And I'm like, girlfriend, <laughs> take it. Learn uh, how to use it. And yeah, or yeah, the rangefinder. Range sorry. Um, and she was like a little intimidated. Well, I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. And I'm like, well, it's pretty intuitive. You press the button here. You try it. You know, you take the lead and try this, you know, and that's what we need. We need somebody to hand it off and stop doing it for them. No, yeah. mentors are really important. I learned to ski. I was totally afraid of skiing. I was so afraid of skiing. And when I met Ryan, he was a really good skier. And I told this story in a podcast, but He's like, okay, this sucks. I want to ski. You're crying on the ski lift. Like, this is not fun. (laughs) So you're going to learn to ski. And I literally just for one whole season, I just followed him. He's like, just follow me. Just watch me. And after a while, after one year, I was like, I love skiing. I was like backcountry skiing, going, going off, you know, double X by myself. Like never would have done that before. People say, you ski just like Ryan. Like you guys look the same. I said, well, I I just followed him for months just followed him did yep. what he did Shadowed emulating him, him yeah. and that's really important so yep. mentors are super important yeah and nowadays there's a lot of great <laughs> websites out there for geared towards women yeah, yeah. The pursue the wild's great i watched Thank it with you. my daughter uh, remember i don't watch hunting shows really right, so right. i've watched school of Bound tv now <laughs> which i love because it involves jewelry and fancy <laughs> things which um i was say, telling someone last night was that you i was i don't even sure i was a total jewelry whore quote unquote before i had kids yeah then I had kids. I don't spend that kind of money on myself. I think it was you. I was telling you that. So <laughs> yeah. I'll get back there someday. Right. But um, So I have some questions before we end. And we, we always, with our special guests, we ask these kind of the same questions. Yeah. So I'm going to ask that of you ladies. And um, I'd love to hear your answers. So okay. first, Christy, let's start with you. What is your biggest strength? Oh, boy. Ah, that's hard to identify about myself. Um, I think... My biggest strength is being mentally tough. Um, I always feel like your body wants to quit when you're only of given, you know, 80% of what you can really do. Like mentally, mentally you're like, oh, okay, I should say mentally you want to quit before you've given, you know, really what your body can do. Your body is really something that can surprise you. And so mentally I'm strong. If somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm going to be like, "Mm, watch me. I'm going to learn how to do this because this is the power of the mind. We can learn anything we want. If you wanted to learn to speak uh, Korean, There's no one stopping us except us. We have the ability to do anything we want to do, to learn anything we want. We have the unique freedom to pursue whatever dream we want to pursue. If you can dream it, you can do it. And I'm a firm believer in that. So for me, I would say it's mental strength. Like, like if, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it all the way. I don't go on a diet. I do a bodybuilding show, you know. <laughs> like, she goes all out. I mean, yeah. I go all out, right? If yeah. I'm, I'm not just going to learn how to shoot guns. Now I'm, I'm going to shoot guns <laughs> and I'm so going to compete nationally, you know. Even funny. Like, yeah. I, if I were to do something, I want to win. I want to do it well. I want to invest myself. So mentally, I think I'm strong in yeah. that capacity. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, you know, 
I'm not athletic, but yes, I'm going to be tra- are. No, oh. I was like, I'm not an athlete. I'm not coordinated. I can't sing. I That's still do true. everything. That's not do true. athletes People, sing? I'm just, you know, I'm just <laughs> talking about my joy. You guys watch some of my videos. You'll see me singing a lot, oh, okay. and it's painful. <laughs> Plug your ears. It hurts. Jenna? Um, th- I don't even know if I'm going to be able to convey this into words. I mean, uh, um, I think I'm mentally and physically tough, which is a, a, a good thing to be, you know, in, in, in our lifestyles. But this is going to sound so weird. But as Christy's talking, I'm trying to think about, like, what are, what is my biggest strength? It, I wouldn't call it a strength, but I would say that it's something I'm really proud of or, or that has given me so much opportunity. And it's that I don't. I don't have, how do I say this? I don't judge people. I don't care if you're a janitor, you know, at, at a, a, a school or you're the president of the United States. I don't care. I don't care what your title is. I don't care if you have money. I don't care where you came from. I don't care. And because of that, I've never seen people like that. I have met the most amazing souls on this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I read a book by the Dalai Lama when I was young. And maybe that's kind of, it really, really sunk in from there. And how he would, like, have just as much joy talking to the maid in the hotel as to these, you know, prime ministers of these countries. And yeah. I really feel like I'm like that, too. And it's so funny when someone comes up to me and goes, oh, my gosh, you're so down to earth. And I don't know any other way to be. Like, I love people for their individuality. And it's not a strength, but it's it's created so much, so many amazing connections. That is what mm-hmm. I think life is all about. It is a strength. And it's one of my strengths. And we talked about it earlier. It's the ability to go between two worlds and accept. That's what people want. They yeah. just yeah. want acceptance. True. So whether you're the president or you're the maid. They both obviously want acceptance. Appreciation and so is a great word. If you can do word. that yeah. for somebody and be in that space with them, yeah. not many people can do that. Yeah. That's like a really powerful strength, yeah. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, awesome. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> okay. So the next question, um, Christy, what is your biggest weakness? Oh, um, I think it's a weakness that a lot of women do, and I'm, I'm catching myself all weekend this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm mean to myself. I don't, I don't uh, love myself enough sometimes, and I'm hard on myself, and I, I'm always doing this thing, well, I need to do more and be better or be this or be that, and I'm, I'm very unkind to myself. So it's something that I'm very aware of, and I think there's a lot of women out there that we forget to love ourselves and appreciate such a good our unique individuality and, and appreciate our bodies and appreciate who we are. And that's, that's, my, that's my biggest thing is I, I'm hard on myself. Yeah. We all are. Yeah. Well, but when you tend to be really point. mentally tough and you push yourself, you tend to be really hard on yourself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. You, you like turn the tables on yourself really easily. Very. So you're always the one that's failing. Like nobody else ever fails. It's like yeah. me. I got to do this better. I got to do this better. Yeah. Oh, and I love everybody else. I'm like, oh, you're trying. This is great. Yeah. We got this. Yes. Yeah. And then I'm like, Christy, what? <laughs> not, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jenna? Um, my biggest weakness. I really, I agree with Christy and what she said and that we have that self-doubt sometimes and uh, let that seep in. Um. I think some, yeah, I'm getting better at it in my mid forties. And that is, um, I want to please everybody. I want to say mm. yes to everything. You know, I, I'll, I'll have, 
you know, 10, 10 skulls sitting in my studio. I need to get out for paying customers. And someone will come to me and say, uh, I've got this fundraiser, la, 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 la. It's been so, so hard for me to say no to people. And you just can't do everything. You cannot make everybody happy. Yeah. And it's a cliche. You can't make everybody happy. And it's easier said than done. And I think I, I'm getting better at just being comfortable with saying no to people. And it's, it's hard, though, for me. And it's yeah. hard. And what happens when you are a people pleaser is the people who really matter suffer in your life. You know, the yeah. relationships you don't have time for. My sister, my mom, my dad. You know, I find oh my myself gosh, feeling yes. guilty that I don't have as strong a connections because I don't live in Wisconsin anymore. You know, that kind of thing. I don't get to see Brennan as much as I want. And, you know, there's that guilt of uh, trying to make everybody happy. And the older I get, I think I just got to learn to, I'm getting better at saying no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a weakness trying to please everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I think it's very common for women, too. It's yep. kind of bred into us, too, uh, to be pleased, getting everybody happy. Okay, last question. Okay. Uh, Christy and Jana, what are you guys most grateful for right now? <sighs> Freedom. Yeah, that pretty encompass- encompasses yeah. pretty much everything, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there, like Jana is saying, there's people that have fought, bled, and pay the ultimate sacrifice for us to have the unique ability to climb mountains, to breathe the air we breathe, to have the choice to own a firearm, to have the choice to grow a garden, to have the choice to hunt, to have the choice to vote. Oh, to be a woman to in this country. To be a woman. Oh, we are so been, blessed. I have stood in the mosques in Turkey. I've been in huts in Kenya. I've been very blessed to travel the world. And if the women in this country had any clue of what it's like to be in these other third world or Middle Eastern countries or to be really suppressed. Not, oh, I have my boss shrug his shoulders at me once in a while. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I live in a male-dominated... Like, put the hand up. Don't even go there. Don't even go there. Trust me. Like, I am so thankful to be a woman in the United States of America. Yeah. And because of all the reasons Christy said, it's freedom. freedom. It's freedom. You You can do anything you want to do in this country, and people don't understand... That it's not like that everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's truly not. It's priceless. Yep. It's something you can't put a price on. And, yep. and there are people that that are dying for us to have the ability to do the things that we do. And, um, you know, Jana gives back so much to our service men and women. And, and um, I do. I try to on a small scale. Oh, you do too. But this year... I'm launching a Patriot collection of jewelry in August, and I'll be donating a portion of the proceeds to Wishes for Warriors and Wounded Warrior Outdoors because I want to give back. Um, And not just with my time, but how can I help fund an opportunity for somebody to be in the outdoors and experience the therapeutic healing that comes from being out here? And so, you know, um, freedom, freedom, freedom. That's everything. Yep. I agree. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time. I know you're busy, and uh, Christy's here selling her awesome jewelry and her beautiful (laughs) bling. I got stuff. And uh, Jana and her bling, too, last (laughs) night. I was like, Ryan, bid on that necklace. He's like, I don't spend that kind of money Jana will make you one. I said, someday, I'll get one. He's like, I bet you you can get one. I'll make you one, girlfriend doing it but um i appreciate you guys talking and for really just uh changing people's lives and doing what you love 
you know, we only have one life, right? right. Absolutely. So you're living the life you want to live and you're helping people and giving back at the same time. Leave a legacy. And uh, you're, you're creating health and happiness. So Thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you for spreading the word about what we're all about. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I just feel glad. I feel so blessed to have met you guys. Like, I, I mean, we did this train to hunt thing, and yeah. I had no idea what how impactful it was going to be. So it's yeah. uh, well, and you I just love never the know. connections because I yeah. saw the picture of you. Oh, there she is with Hillary. Yeah. Oh, they know each other too. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, it's just a stronger unified front. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. So Thank okay, you. all you ladies out there, you got ambitions and dreams. You can do it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. all right. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye. you. Thank Bye. you. You can find this podcast and the show notes as well as pictures at huntharvesthealth.com slash podcast slash freedom. Hey folks, thanks for listening to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit our website at huntharvesthealth.com for more podcast stories and recipes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hunt Harvest Health. You can also message me at stahealthyhunter, that's S-T-H, and I will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Also tag your photos, Hunt Harvest Health, or Get Stealthy, as we enjoy seeing what you guys are doing as well.